Come on in, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 104 of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder of Ezra Group Consulting. Over the past 16 years, we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors and enterprise wealth management firms to guide them towards better business and technology decisions. And please head over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and register for our upcoming webinar, The Last Mile, Data-Powered Client Experience in Wealth Management. You'll be learning from industry leaders who are sharing their best practices in leveraging data that will shape how you think about and manage data as a key component of your client experience. Click the register now link at the top of the homepage on EzraGroupLLC.com. The Wealth Tech Today podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices in technology for wealth management, asset management, and related areas. This episode is our monthly roundup of the news. I'll be covering the following stories for this episode, July 2021. Adipar grabs more funding and doubles their valuation. Story number two, Fidelity Investments unveils Sherlock, a data and analytics dashboard for cryptocurrencies. Story number three is Broadridge acquires advisor stream. And number four, Principal Financial shuts down robust wealth. Now let's get the news started. Just six months after their last funding round, Adipar grabs more funding and doubles their valuation. Adipar, a wealth management platform that specializes in data aggregation, analytics, and performance reporting, closed a Series F funding round of $150 million at a $2 billion pre-money valuation from New York hedge fund D1 Capital Partners. So the question we're, we're talking about here is, are they worth it? Is it worth $2 billion dollars? for this company. Uh, they've doubled their valuation from just last November when they took another $117 million in a Series E round. I wonder what the last round is when they get the Z. Do they go back to AA? Anyway, uh, this brings Adipar's total funding to date to approximately $475 million. In case you don't know who Adipar is, uh, they launched more than a decade ago. As I said, they focus on data aggregation, analytics, and performance reporting. They started out really in the high-end family office space, and they became quickly became one of the leaders in the space in that they were offering uh, a differentiated solution that could deliver elegant, um, really beautiful reporting that was that had data that other firms couldn't provide, especially specifically around complex investments. Now they currently have more than 2.7 trillion in client assets on their platform. That's AUA not AUM, because they're just reporting and aggregation, with over 600 clients, including family offices, which was their core, and expanding into high net worth RIAs, some private banks, and large financial institutions. They also claim to be adding an average of 15 billion in assets every week, which is up from November when they were adding 10 billion. So they are growing, and their growth rate is increasing over time. They've said in the press release they plan to use the new funding to scale up Salesforce, uh, their Salesforce globally, because roughly 90% of their client base is in the US. So that's a, a huge opportunity. 
as I mentioned, Adapar started out targeting single family offices, multifamily offices, and ultra high net worth RIAs. And they became the leader because of their analytics and reporting on these illiquid asset classes like private equity and hedge funds and the partnership accounting and other idiosyncratic needs that they could display on the same screen and in the same reports as your normal investment stocks and bonds and mutual funds, et cetera. So that gave them a differentiated solution in the market and they were charging for it. They're one of the most expensive solutions out there. Uh, I believe their list price is 50 basis points, which is crazy for tech. Most vendors charge on a, a per seat basis, per license basis, uh, or per account basis, but very, very few uh, tech vendors who aren't also TAMPs and offering investment solutions, which makes the tech just a, a loss leader. If they're really a tech company, it's very rare they can charge basis points, charge an asset-based fee. So Adipar has done that since, since uh, day one, I believe, and they've gotten away with it because they provide a differentiated, unique solution. Uh, their solution is multi-currency. They've got a pretty nice client portal and their performance reporting and visualizations on these uh, complicated, uh, these assets with complicated ownership structures is, is, is gorgeous in my opinion uh, and, and unique in that other firms can do it, but not quite in the way Adapar has designed their interface to be easy to use, drag and drop, uh, you know, visualize, almost like building a pivot table in Excel, but pulling in data from uh, private equity, hedge funds, and you know, partnerships. You know, this data is notorious for creating challenges in any portfolio reporting system. The when it looks when it comes to these illiquid investments, the transactions are sporadic, uh, pricing and quotes are often subjective and the risk attributes of these underlying assets are anyone's guess. That's a quote from Bill Winterberg, uh, industry expert. And he's right, you know, that's, that's one of the, the, the problems that a lot of firms run into is they just can't get the data clean. Most of this, a lot of this data is coming in through PDF files and, and, and paper reports. So being able to scan them in, analyze it and, and, and put it into the database and update immediately is very difficult, but Adapar has built out their processes, uh, their data management uh, processes and data import processes to be able to handle uh, these asset classes uh, that other firms can't handle. So another thing that Adapar can do that we like is the what if scenarios. So it's not just a reporting solution, it is a bit of a, a stress test solution where you can say, well, the Fed just raised interest rates and we have a client that wants to know the impact across their entire portfolio, not just stocks and bonds. And let's say half the portfolio is in private equity hedge funds. The advisor may want to know, how should we reposition this portfolio? And that's something Adapar can do. It's similar to how a, a tech like Hidden Levers works, which is now owned by Orion, but they can't apply to alternatives the way, the way Adapar can do it. It's also an interesting overlap with uh, higher end trust and estate planning solutions like Navaplan, eMoney, and, and other uh, software. But those firms don't do performance reporting and the client portal like, uh, well, eMoney has a client portal, but the way these, uh, the way the Adapar can handle it um, and the way the Adapar can manage it and visualize it, that's a bit different from the way the financial planning firms handle trust and estate planning. So uh, a common question with these large trusts and, and high net worth families is they want to know what part of the trust is attributable to a specific family member. And most RIA software uh, that Adapar will soon be competing against 
can only look at it on an account by account basis. It's difficult to look at it on a trust basis and a percentage of that trust. You know, Adapar can do that and it can say, well, based on the data we have, this particular individual owns 8% of the trust or 10% of the trust, whatever that number is, as opposed to well, they own this account or they're sharing this other account. So Adapar with their data model, um, as opposed to being an account-based data model where you might have to overlay other tools on top of it or other aggregation functions, they've got that built in. But are they worth $2 billion? That's the question. Looking at other firms that they are somewhat competing with, uh, firms like Orion, there were rumors that they were on the market last year for under $2 billion. Uh, InvestCloud just closed a funding round, uh, merged with Tegra 118, the old Fiserv uh, division, and now their valuation is $2 billion, so that's a common number. And the largest firm in the wealth management space, wealth management tech space, InvestNet, is worth $4 billion. That's easy to look up because they're a public company. Just check uh, Yahoo Finance. So these numbers aren't unusual for firms with the kind of market cap, or rather with the kind of asset um, cap that, uh, that all, uh, I want to say Allbridge, that Adapar has with, with $2 trillion. So having a $2 billion evaluation doesn't sound unreasonable. And especially looking at the growth, they're really outpacing other firms uh, in terms of growth. As I mentioned earlier, they, they had... Uh, 450 clients last November, now they're at 600. They had 2 trillion in, in, in assets, now they're at 2.7 trillion. And if you look back in time, when the current CEO, Eric Poirier, joined Adapar back in 2013, they just had 50 billion in assets. 2013 to 2021, eight years, went from 50 billion to 2 trillion. That's quite uh, a growth curve. Other competitors in the space, the top, the big four RIA platforms, Tamarack, Orion, Black Diamond, Morningstar would be your, your big four. They never really saw Adapar as a competitor. They saw them as a partner because Adapar was just handling reporting. And they were handling asset classes that those four vendors didn't really get involved in. And that is changing. We're seeing these are the vendors identify Adapar as a threat to their business and especially to their largest clients. And there's an old saying that you don't defeat a competitor, uh, in business at least, by stealing all of their customers. You just have to steal the best customers. And I believe that's Adapar's strategy. Steal the best customers from the, comp the competition and, and win the market that way. They've been investing heavily in the RIA space, which they never really cared about before, before a couple of years ago. They built out some new products, something called Adapar Teams, where teams of advisors can decide which ones, which clients different advisors see on a team and share clients. And also a, a little bit of a down market version. Since it was expensive, as I mentioned earlier, they built out a lower cost version called Adapar Go. That's a plug and play pre-configured version of the software. That's another thing that firms didn't realize when they were choosing out of part, it's expensive to implement. You can't do it by yourself. You need a, a consultant to come in and help you and that's not cheap, but firms were still doing it because of the value they saw out of parts reporting, um, their, their visualization, their data aggregation, delivering to them and their clients. So that's one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why. So summarizing, or am I done with my notes here? Oh, I wanted to read one more thing. So this is a great quote uh, from my good friend, Doug Fritz, who is a principal at F2 Strategy. And he said, 
this is an, an RIA Biz article from uh, April 2019, so it's already two years old, but I'm sure he still feels the same way. Uh, regarding Adapar, he said the hype is real. Adapar has made massive improvements in their model, delivery, and support over the last few years. We're seeing their name come up in conversations with our larger clients where it had never had before. And they're definitely going to win larger and larger mandates. That's something we're hearing across the board, not just from Doug Fritz, but from other consultants and other clients that they're taking, larger clients are taking new looks at Adapar. Uh, I mean, they already have signed some pretty big deals. They have a deal with Morgan Stanley which is one of the largest wirehouses. So uh, you can't go wrong with that. And they're they're winning more deals and they're also building up more tools. Uh, and we're expecting, I know we are in our research uh, division that looks at FinTechs, we're expecting Adapart uh, to announce some sort of portfolio accounting, portfolio management tool soon, just based on who they're hiring. For example, they hired Steve Strand who co-founded Advent Software and wrote the first few versions of their Axis portfolio accounting and reporting product. You don't hire this guy unless you're building out a portfolio accounting engine. So the writing is pretty much on the wall there. Uh, they're also targeting smaller firms and now they're partnering. Of course, they don't have their own portfolio management yet, but they had partnered in the past with firms like Red Black, uh, portfolio management solution, which is owned by Investco now, and Folio Dynamics for UMA, which is owned by InvestNet, not to be confused with Investco. Everyone's got to have the same name. And uh, But once they have their own platform, they won't have to partner anymore, and they'll own the end-to-end -end product for these clients, which is going to make them stickier and, and make them uh, able to go after bigger and bigger projects and bigger and bigger clients. In the past, they didn't have their own portfolio accounting. They basically did what's called a wipe and load. They just pulled the, the daily custodial files down and wiped out what they had yesterday and uploaded what they had today. But that led to some minor discrepancies because you can't, it's, it's, it makes it more difficult to, to manage since you don't have access to the intraday changes. You only can look at what's not the custodian. But again, building their own portfolio accounting and portfolio management will change all that. The, the last thing we see as being um, part of their value and why we think it's worth even more than $2 billion is their alternative investment marketplace. They are experts in alternative investments and managing the data behind alternatives. So they started their own marketplace where they become the, um, the integrated platform that ties their clients together, manages the workflows and delivers uh, these alternative assets to their clients. Now, even so, only 30 to 40% of the assets on the Adapar platform, according to Adapar, are actually alternatives. That means 60 to 70% are your everyday run-of-the-mill stocks and bonds. So there's some room for growth there into, into more alternatives. And about 25% of their current clients at Adapar have started using their alternatives marketplace. We see these alternative marketplaces as huge growth in the REA space. Firms like Luma, Simon, Halo Investing, and we've had these, we've um, talked about these firms on our blog and, and in other reports uh, and, and done work with other clients about the, the, the marketplace for um, alternative investment structured products, annuities and such. We see huge growth here, and this is another uh, revenue stream for Adapar. So uh, to summarize, why do we, we think Adapar is in such a good position? Why do we think they're going to be worth more than $2 billion? Accelerating asset growth, expansion of their tech stack into an end-to-end -end advisory platform, 
big deals like Morgan Stanley and Dynasty. We didn't even mention Dynasty yet, Dynasty deal, and their alternatives marketplace. Those add up to uh, continued growth for the firm and continued uh, problems for their competitors. And we see them only accelerating and being more successful in the future. Next up in our news roundup, Fidelity Investments unveils Sherlock, a data and analytics dashboard for cryptocurrency. So let's take a look. Let's talk about this, this new uh, dashboard. But first, let's do a quick history of Fidelity and their involvement in the crypto and digital asset world. They were one of the first Wall Street incumbents to officially provide cryptocurrency solutions. They even started Bitcoin mining back in 2014 when the price was around $180. So you can imagine what their Bitcoin is worth. Uh, and I'm sure they were just seeing it as something interesting, an interesting technology to invest in or to work with. And it became a huge moneymaker for them. They, the goal, according to CEO Abigail Johnson, was to make, dig, uh, make digitally native assets such as Bitcoin more accessible to investors. They launched Fidelity Digital Asset Services in October 2018, which enabled uh, cryptocurrency custody and supported trade execution for institutional investors. We're seeing Fidelity offer more and more services and functionality around crypto. They're really building out a very strong offering around crypto. They also have a partnership with Coinbase, which is the largest digital wallet and one of the largest um, places that uh, consumers can buy cryptocurrencies. And this partnership allows Fidelity customers to check their cryptocurrency balances on the Fidelity app. And in 2015, they even started facilitating charitable donations in Bitcoin. So a great place to go if you're looking for crypto as Fidelity investment. So it makes sense that they would start offering tools for RIAs to uh, learn more about crypto and do research on crypto. So Sherlock, this data and analytics dashboard, is aimed squarely at institutional crypto traders, including RIAs according to the firm. The Fidelity Center for Applied Technology developed Sherlock in secret. I don't know why it was such a big secret, but they did it in secret. And I believe Fidelity spends about two and a half billion on technology every year. So uh, they're a huge provider of tech and, and it makes sense that they would be able to build something like this. According to the firm, they plan on charging $500 per user per month for this tool set with some sort of tiered pricing for larger firms. Uh, Bitcoin digital asset cryptocurrency expert Lex Sokolin uh, from Consensus uh, was quoted as saying, the main thing Fidelity can do better than others here is integrating this data into the rest of its traditional investment management toolkit. I agree 100%. I'd rather see uh, you know, a so-so tool made without all the features and functionality that was tightly integrated than the latest and greatest tool that's a completely separate option. Um, so hopefully they'll, hopefully they'll integrate this into their other tools or their other advisor systems. But right now it's not, it's still standalone. The problems I'm seeing, and I haven't got a full demo of this yet. Hopefully the next few weeks I will be able to get a demo. All I have is screenshots on the website, which is sherlockanalytics.com. It really doesn't look all that great. It's certainly not worth $500 a month. I mean, it looks to me like someone built it using the Roblox game development kit. Very choppy, not a lot going on here. Missing a whole lot of stuff, although again, this is just screenshots, but not something, not a screen I want to stare at and, and make decisions on investments on. There's so much other, uh, there's so many other tools out there that can do this, that offer data analytics in way more detail. 
than what we're seeing with Sherlock. So I would wait on Sherlock. If you're looking to get involved in cryptocurrency trading uh, or, or just curious about it, I would look at some other tools like Glassnode, G-L-A-S-S-N-O-D. It's actually glassnode.com. You can sign up for a free account there. Way more tools, you know, hundreds of options that look at supply and demand, derivatives, distribution uh, across wallets, different exchanges, lifespans of wallets, you know, market indicators. Really, really great tool. Uh, so that's Glassnode. Another one that I like is called Skew, but it's, it's spelled S-K-E-W. Also, a, a really nice dashboard. <clears throat> they have a free version, <clears throat> excuse me, as well, which you can take a look at. Great for technical uh, analysis. Lots of uh, options going on here. I really like their um, buy-sell ratio charts, like the bid-ask spread charts, and their grayscale Bitcoin trust uh, volume inflows and outflows um, graphics look real useful as well. Of course, there's also the old standard that anybody trading any crypto would have used at some point, which is called TradingView. And now TradingView can do any any uh, uh, investment security, but really strong on crypto. Great for, for technical analysis. Uh, rivals some of the professional tools that I've seen out there. So why would anyone use this tool? Well, I wouldn't. But if you're an advisor, I would recommend sticking with models when it comes to crypto. There are, there's a bunch of asset managers out there that offer cryptocurrency digital asset models you can use. Uh, outsource the intellectual property to them and the investment management for crypto to them. And the best way to do that is through a company called blockchange.ai, which happens to be a company that I'm on the advisory board for. Uh, the reason I'm on the advisory board is when I did research in the crypto space around wealth management, they're the only ones who have this type of solution that connects crypto asset managers with RIAs and, and broker dealers. And they're the middleman uh, between that. They've got a, a crypto uh, currency portfolio rebalancer that does all the trading, sends all, all the executions out, blocks them all up, gets you the best price, brings all the trades back, uh, allocates them across the accounts, just like a, a normal rebalancer, but for crypto. So uh, if you're an RIA or a broker dealer, you want to give your advisors and their clients access to the best money managers offering crypto models, go to Blockchange, that's B-L-O-C-K-C-H-A-N-G-E, blockchange.ai, and they can hook you up. So why not go to the experts rather than do it yourself? It's just too complicated. There's too much going on. Um, I, I recommend advisors focus on their business, servicing their clients, rather than trying to pick the best crypto or the best stocks and mutual funds. Just take the model and run with it. Um, you're much better off. If there's a problem with the model. The model doesn't seem to do well. You can always change managers, but you don't want your, your clients changing you. So that's my quick uh, block change AI commercial. And back to Sherlock. So uh, I'm assuming, of course, this is just the first version of Fidelity's product. That'll get better over time. Uh, I just wouldn't want to be the guinea pig trying to use it. So if you're an advisor, go to Glassnode, Skew, or TradingView, and then wait for you know the Sherlock version 2.0 to come along and see how they're doing there. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others recognizes individuals and advisory firms that are making a difference by donating their time and money to causes that matter to them. By sharing their stories and awarding funding to organizations they care about, invest in others, raises awareness, encourages others to get involved, channels additional resources to those in need, and demonstrates the generosity of the financial advice industry. I've been involved with Invest in Others for a number of years, 
and we just did our judging. Uh, I've been uh, fortunate to be asked to be a judge for some of their um, uh, award, awards, and the one we just did was Volunteer of the Year. So we reviewed 10 different uh, advisors and their charities and what they gave to their charities, the work they've done over many years, some, more than a decade of work with their charities to try to come down to which one was the Volunteer of the Year. And the Volunteer of the Year, their charity will receive $50,000. The second and third place runners up get $20,000. And I believe the next three uh, get $2,500. So a lot of uh, these charities are getting some money. You know, the number one gets 50000 Really hard to pick. There's a lot of great charities out there. I would encourage you to go to investinothers.org. Uh, read about what they're doing. They're a good work. Meet their board of directors. Look at their grants for good. And make a donation. Your, hopefully your, your company will, will match it. That means you can do double the good for a lot of great charities. Uh, the Invest in Others Foundation. Our next story this month is Broadridge acquires advisor stream as digital marketing for financial advisors continues to heat up. According to a 2020 survey, there were 8,000 marketing automation tools on the market. So it's, we call that MarTech. Martech. So MarTech tools, eight, over 8,000. That's a tremendous amount of logos on a map. Uh, hear people commenting how crowded the Keats's advisor tech map is, which I happen to partner with Michael on. And we only have a few hundred logos on that map. Imagine 8,000, you need a microscope to see them. So there's so many choices available for generic MarTech platforms that aren't industry specific. The biggest and most popular platform is called HubSpot, which you may have heard from, heard of. Um, I believe they're the most popular. If, uh, they've got over 15,000 clients and they're also expensive, but uh, they're expensive because they are the most popular. Uh, other firms that have provided similar uh, products and MarTech products that aren't tied to any specific industry include Pardo, which was acquired by Salesforce, Marketo, Infusionsoft, and SharpSpring, which was just recently announced being acquired by Constant Contact and is also used by my firm, Ezra Group. Anyway, um, so all these players, 8,000 MarTech firms didn't stop a bunch of companies from thinking that they could build a better mousetrap that would work better for financial advisors. And on the Keats's Advisor Tech Solutions map, which you can find at keatses.com, we currently have 16 products in the digital marketing category. You can take a look at that anytime you like. So every, every month, Michael and I sit down and we review the map and, and discuss changes and additions and reorganizations. And next month, as you mentioned, we're probably going to have to remove Advisor Stream since they've been acquired by Broadridge. Uh, and we've also seen other uh, consolidation, other acquisitions in the past 12 months or so. And even before that, there's been a pretty, pretty steady stream, especially with the, the bigger players. Uh, so the biggest player in the space is probably FMG Suite, according to our research. And they uh, have been a pretty steady acquirer of other MarTech firms to build up their platform. They started in 26, they started the company in 2011, but their first acquisition, I believe, was in 2016 when they bought Advisor Launchpad. They then bought Advisor's Assistant, which is a CRM for advisors. 2017, they bought Agency Revolution, which is marketing for insurance agents. 
2018, two acquisitions, Marketing Pro and Platinum Advisor Strategies. And finally, last year, they uh, made uh, a big acquisition of, of 20 over 10 and their lead pilot email marketing system. And that came just six months after FMG Suite themselves were acquired by PE firm Aurora Capital. So a lot, a lot going on with FMG Suite. Another company that's got a lot of uh, market share in advisor-focused marketing automation is Seismic and their live social uh, tool, which was previously called Grapevine 6 before they acquired them this year. And that's an AI-based engine that scours the web for content, analyzes it, tags it, and then builds curated databases. A great tool, uh, has a lot of traction in the enterprise space. Grapevine 6 does, are now called Live Social. Uh, they do a really good job measuring end user engagement and distributing and, and uh, compliance, be able to manage and manage these curated content databases. So really good job there. Uh, so of course we've got Broadridge, got into the business when they bought a company called Direxis in 2015 and now AdvisorStream. And another other big players we would call uh, Snappy Kraken, who just got a $6 million series A round. And by the way, they're having their Jolt Marketing Conference in Las Vegas in October. And rounding out the list of vendors we think would be the biggest would include Hearsay, which used to be called Hearsay Social, a company called Clout, Reach Stack, and Advisor Websites. So when we look at the market for advisor marketing software, we divide it up into four main feature segments. So the functionality is divided up into four areas. Websites, just building, building out websites like Advisor Websites does and uh, content development, that's web content, marketing content, other types of content, marketing automation, that's push and uh, single step push, multi-step push, multi-channel marketing and campaign marketing, and finally reporting analytics and integration. So those four areas is how we look at the, the, the functionality breakdown of uh, marketing software. And back to our story, um, so why did uh, Broadridge buy AdvisorStream? They fit a number of gaps and fill a number of gaps that Broadridge had in their solution. And one of them is uh, AI-driven content. And AdvisorStream Advisor Stream has got some pretty nice technology that measures how the, con how the content is, is working, uh, it, it, the analytics to decide, uh, come back and tell you where the user interactions are by content, by subject, by source. Uh, really nice dashboard that they've built looks a little bit like Google Analytics in, in effect, but just for you know, your advisor uh, measured content. And it's a, little, it's a lot easier to use in Google Analytics. Uh, another couple areas where we found uh, advisor stream filling gaps for Broadridge is around content creation and customization. Broadridge doesn't uh, have the best uh, functionality in that area and uh, advisor stream does. And plus the, the final area we see uh, where AdvisorStream is really a differentiated solution and no one has this, is there, there are a huge a group of a paywalled content provider agreements so they, where they're paying these paywalled content providers. And so advisors can deliver this content to prospects and clients for no charge to them. So they get an article from the Wall Street Journal or Barron's or Forbes, and they don't have to pay. They don't have to go through the paywall. They don't have to see any other content on those sites. They just see the article that the advisor is sending them, white labeled with the advisor's logo and other information. So really great differentiated solution, sets them apart. Um, the one area we found Broadridge having a, a bit of a problem is they're 
not the best at keeping innovation going. They bought a lot of companies, you know, in many different areas, not just advisor marketing, but in many different areas around the advisor space. And the, 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 the applications tend to stagnate. They, they buy a great app and then it just doesn't continue. It's still good. It just doesn't continue to innovate. So we're hoping that that doesn't happen with AdvisorStream. We follow them for a while. We really like what they've got going, what, what you know, Kevin Mulhern and the other the team have done up in Toronto. So we're looking forward to that uh, break in the streak and AdvisorStream continuing um, as a product and continuing to innovate and bring new and uh, better solutions for advisors. And our final story this month, Principal Financial Group shuts down robust wealth. This has been uh, something I've been following for a while. Uh, I've known the Robust Wealth guys since 2017. They were acquired by Principal in 2018 with the goal of what many asset managers think when they're buying interesting tech platforms is they're gonna build out a new distribution channel, grab some space on advisor's desktop, become stickier, push out product to the model marketplace. And it just doesn't seem to have worked out. And which is a shame because I really liked what Mike Karens, uh, who was a founder and CEO, had done with, with Robust Wealth. Uh, seen them a lot at conferences and talked to them a lot, talked to the team a lot, seen demos of the product. Uh, really interested in what they, what they were doing. And so again, it's a shame that it was shut down. Uh, a number of other people in the industry felt the same way. Uh, T3 head Joel Bruckenstein was quoted as saying, when an insurance company purchases a wealth tech firm, there's often a culture clash. And he's right about that. Uh, I posted on Twitter, another example of, uh, well, I said insurance company, but it's more an asset manager. An asset management company spending money trying to be innovative, but being unable to leverage good tech and a good team. Selling tech to advisors is not as easy as it looks. I also had a bit of an inkling that things weren't going so well last year when I heard from a source that the romance was over between principal and robust wealth. Again, didn't know what was gonna happen or when, but um, things didn't sound good. Uh, I really liked, as I said, their platform. They had done a lot. The, the platform featured basically everything you needed uh, for an RIA uh, tech platform, rebalancing, billing, a client portal, uh, electronic account opening. They had built out goals-based um, planning tools they had open architecture. What was also interesting about them was that while they were still small, they were a TAMP. So they had an RIA, they could take discretion and handle trading. So they were, they were coming at it from a number of different directions. And plus their digital onboarding solution uh, that was available to advisors to launch a digital channel, which they could also support uh, the trading for a dollar per account per month or something like that. Uh, they built their own e-signature technology, a lot going on there. So the fact that they were shut down is disappointing, but not surprising considering other insurance companies, asset managers who didn't do so well with the technology that they purchased, whether it's Northwestern Mutual uh, and LearnVest, Wisdom Tree taking a bath on their investment with Advisor Engine. Now, um, other other firms like Invesco uh, acquired GemStep and that while that didn't fail, they didn't shut it down. They did roll it up into uh, what they're calling IntelliFlow platform with a number of other companies and BlackRock acquiring Future Advisor, which also didn't shut down, but didn't set the world on fire either. And it just didn't seem like a good fit. Uh, if you think about it, Principal Financial Group is such a huge company, a conglomerate, 820 billion in assets, 8 billion in net cash flow, 
huge in retirement plan servicing, insurance, their principal global investors, their asset management arm, tremendous, you know, really, really large. So it was just hard to see how they weren't going to get swallowed up and, and, and their innovative solution, innovative uh, technology, their innovative uh, workplace just couldn't survive. So again, not so surprising. But what were the reasons for failure? Uh, again, I don't have the details, I don't have any inside information, but a lot of it probably centered around the model marketplace idea that principal could, could push out their funds from their asset management arm through a model marketplace run by um, robust wealth and then managed through their platform. And you know, model marketplaces, while they have had some success and a lot of firms have launched them the past couple of years, they're not standalone. You can't launch an independent model marketplace that people will just flock to or firms will flock to as the managers and sponsors and advisor, advisors. It just doesn't happen. Any model marketplace that's used by RIAs is one that's built into the platform they're already using, whether it's Orion Advisor Communities, uh, TD Ameritrade's iRebel, which is now Schwab's iRebel, Riskalyze Partner Store, or InvestNet's model market, uh, InvestNet's uh, manager portal and manager solutions, uh, or others. Uh, you're just not going to be a, 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 so you have to pull out something is, is where, I'm, where I'm going with this is that you need to take out someone else's technology if you want them to use your model marketplace. And as my good friend Michael Keats has said, tech matters, but switching costs are brutal. Advisors are much more likely to use expanded offerings where they already are. And that's why the incumbents who added marketplaces won, won in, in quotes, whether that you know, the model marketplace part isn't the reason why they want it's the other tech platform, it's the other solution, it's service. There's a lot going on. You know, it's hard to, as I said, switching costs are brutal. It's hard to change a platform once an RIA is using their platform, whatever it is. You can check out uh, keatsis.com for an article I wrote called uh, 50 Portfolio Management Solutions Can't All Survive. But there's so many technology solutions out there for port port portfolio management, rebalancing, onboarding. Um, the advisors just swamped with, with salespeople calling them to switch their platform. Plus you've got the custodian platforms that are all free and are available uh, at any time. So it's very difficult for any firm to start up. But the fact that Robust Wealth made any traction at all, and I know they were they were they did have some traction is impressive. Um, but it's a shame that they were shut down, a shame that they couldn't take their pseudo tamp slash onboarding slash uh, portfolio management platform any further and you know wish them all the best and hopefully uh, everyone landed on their feet but just another example of why asset management firms need to really be careful really think uh, carefully about how they're getting into the space why they're buying a tech platform what the reasons are is it, it's not just a shiny new object what your strategy is you know we work with a number of asset managers and they've come to us as to what they should be doing. And one of the key feature things we tell them to is you need to have a strategy and you need to be realistic about the strategy. And all the things we just said before, it's not a build it and they will come or buy it and they will come um, process. You really need to think about it. You're gonna to have to invest some money. You're gonna to to think outside the box. You're gonna to have to allow this firm that you bought to run independently if you wanna keep that innovative uh, innovative thought process going. And it's very difficult for asset managers who live there, they live and die on scale to, to do. So another one bites the dust. Another asset manager has thrown in the towel and admitted defeat that their acquisition that seemed to have so much promise 
just three years ago is not working out. And they just decided to cut their losses, um, expecting to see more of this as time goes on because everyone seems to think they can make it work. And it's just very difficult to do. So we'll see who's next up. Hey, it's Craig again. Hope you enjoyed this month's news roundup and our four stories. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and sign up for our newsletter. You will get a monthly uh, little dose of goodness in your email inbox with news, information, content, and links and other stuff around the, uh, around the industry from us. And you will not be disappointed. And look for us again uh, next week with more great podcasting content.